Welcome to the Recruiter Ricky podcast with me, Ricky Martin, on behalf of Hyper Recruitment Solutions. This podcast has one simple vision. We want to help you get hired and we want to help you get hired more successfully. To do so, I'm going to interview a number of business heavyweights who have set up companies, grown companies, but most importantly, developed and supported their talent to do so. They've looked at numerous amount of CVs, conducted an extreme amount of interviews, and onboarded a number of candidates into their companies throughout that process. Firstly, if we can establish who they are and what they do, we can then secondly look for what stands out in a CV, what do they look for when they're interviewing, and how does a candidate actually act to be the candidate they thought they were during the interview. So enough about me, enough about this podcast. Let's go over to one of my guests now to unearth more secrets, more tips, more advice on how to get hired. Hey everyone, this is Ricky Martin and it's the Recruiter Ricky How to Get Hired podcast. I'm with a very special guest. I think I say most people are a special guest, but this particular person has had a key part in my career today, helping me to set up HRS, which is why I'm here today. Um, backed me as somebody who believed that this company could come to life and has interviewed me on the other end of the table. So today I'm speaking to somebody with over 50 years business experience, the one and only Claude Littner. Welcome to the podcast, Claude. Thank you. Quite an introduction. Um, well, what can I say? Could I have done it any better? That should be the question I ask. Uh, in terms of the introduction, no. Yes. In terms of your interview, well, those years ago, probably. <laughs> and I'm not going to, well, actually, I wasn't intending to come on to that, but maybe we will later. Um, so just to put it out there, for those that don't know, Claude interviewed me on The Apprentices. One of Lord Sugar's advisors to say was Ricky somebody that was investable enough. Um, I heard rumours that he was the only interviewer that said no to me, but um, maybe that is just a rumour. Um, but Claude, what I'd like to do, and the reason why I think you're a fantastic person to speak to is putting my interest to one side is, You've been in business for 50 years. You've been owners of companies, directors, chairmen. You have seen companies grow, sell, float. You've probably seen companies close, all of these different things. And But what's instrumental in all of those is the people that you have to bring on board to help you with that. And I think there's so many things that you will be able to share. So to help everyone understand a little bit more about your 50 years, could you, if it is at all possible, give us a bit of a summary in your business credentials to date? Well, it's I can't give you 50 years worth, but essentially... <laughs> Um, I've always been somebody who wanted to strive to do better and that's been the key mark of my career um, particularly as I didn't do well at school so I've always had this feeling that I've now got to catch up and do better um, so really I've, my great asset if there is an asset is the fact that I'm doggedly determined to succeed I can take an exam as many times as I take it until I pass as far as my career goes, I'm working very, very hard, as hard as I possibly can, for every task that's given to me. And I think that's the keynote, is I just mm. do the best I can. I think what's really interesting, what you said there, is your qualifications weren't as great as you hoped them to be. But, and people seem to think that qualifications are the epitome of what defines them. They're not. It's the person, it's the belief, it's the ambition. And interestingly, over the last five years, you actually are, there is now the Claude Littner Business School. So somebody who didn't have the earlier qualifications, what an accolade. Well, the truth is that, uh, as I said, I stuck at it, so I did get a first degree and a master's, and in fact I have been awarded um, a, a doctorate, an honorary doctorate, and I'm also a visiting professor. So from a very, very poor start, I've come out smelling of roses, but it has not been an easy ride, and it's not without an enormous amount of effort um, and a good degree of luck as well. And is it fair to say, you used the words a moment ago, you've always felt like you had to catch up. 
even though you have 50 years of great experience, you now have your doctorate, your, your, your visiting professorship, do you still have that feeling that you're still trying to catch up and that's what still drives you? No, I've overachieved and that's the truth. <laughs> okay, um, yeah. uh, I've been, I've been in, incredibly lucky, um, but also I've worked very, very hard. Um, there's all kinds of times in your life when you take one decision or you go another way and I think that the decisions I've made along the way have actually been very very beneficial to me and I've always tried to play to my strengths I've got very very few strengths but those strengths that I have are very very key for business and so that's helped me a lot to succeed and are you a believer with that in mind I think any business person needs to identify what their strengths are play to them and then look for others around them that can bring strengths in the areas that you might not have have you always found that's been a critical part of your success well, I think that when I talk about my success, in fact, I've been the leader, but I couldn't have done it without a team. And teamwork is absolutely critical. Now, I've been to companies because I do turnarounds, mm. essentially. And so I've been to companies where I've been fortunate enough to find a very good management team that just weren't empowered to do what they needed to do. And that's been wonderful for me because it makes my job easier. You've got a team that actually want to create value for the shareholders or just profit for the company. So that's been very important. But occasionally, more, more often than not, by the time I turn up, the best people have left yeah. um, or they weren't very good and that's why the company finds itself in distress. So my job really is to try and find those people who perhaps haven't shone through but who I think have got ability and the will to succeed and I try and bring them along and I've done that many times successfully because if somebody is just picked out from the crowd yeah. and they've got the ability and the aptitude and the desire what you find is actually they do rise and become very 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 useful members of the team so that's been my success really is one finding teams okay who I can empower or creating and developing teams to work in the way that I want. One of the words you use there I, I use quite a lot and I think it's a great word is the will because um, I genuinely think you can almost show anyone a skill, but if they haven't got the will to want to apply and excel in it and develop within it, they're never going to apply as best they can. So identifying people with the will and the right attitude. And that's why you're such an interesting person to speak to, because you have been able to identify people. You have been able to support them. Let's look at some of the companies. So if we go through some of the accolades, of course, you've been, you're the chief executive of Spurs, of Tottenham Hotspur. I think that's an interesting one to a lot of people listening to podcasts. What was the journey like being the chief executive of a football team? Okay. Well, I think that you've picked on my one, I wouldn't say failure, but the one where if I had my time again, I'd have done things quite differently. Um, I think a football club, every company is different, but a football club has got a lot of different strands to it. And what I didn't understand was that um, it's not just a business. A football club has got a heart and soul. Mm. Um, and therefore, you can't just look at profit and how people are being managed. I think there's something else, and I miss that. I miss that sort of clubby atmosphere because I was so... Um, determined for it to be successful and in a way Lord Sugar is the one who gave me that mandate to make it profitable successful and to get every single opportunity that was created and develop it as far as I could so that was my mandate and that's what I stuck to and that also is the way I run businesses anyway. How difficult um, was that considering you are a big Spurs fan as well because you need to apply your business brain and you've got the emotional heart side actually are you getting pulled in different directions? I'm completely unemotional for me business is business I've got a one-track mind I just want to make the business successful in whatever way I possibly can um, so I wasn't emotional about Tottenham although I've been a lifelong Spurs supporter but when it comes to business business is business I'm very serious about it and the emotional side of it really doesn't play at all and invariably when I go into companies and I find that they're in a bad state um, I work my heart and soul out and I try and get everybody else working in that way uh, but then when, they, when the time comes when I leave the business I've got no emotional attachment whatsoever it was 
it was lent to me to try and yeah. turn around. I didn't really own it, apart from the, t- you know, the fact that when I do own a business. Of course. So in a way, you're parachuted in, identify what the problems, turn them around, and then once you've cut the ties of your parachute, you can move on to the next jump. Correct. Okay. And if we stay on the theme of football, you also were part owner of Power League? Well, I was the majority shareholder. Majority shareholder. Uh, and there again, it was just a great opportunity that I had. Three um, I, who were the venture capitalists, they had invested fifty million pounds in Power League, and it hadn't worked out. The management team didn't gel. They were at sixes and sevens. They were in a hopeless situation. They brought me in because they thought that my experience at Tottenham Hotspur would stand them in good stead for five-a-side football. Nothing could be further from the truth yeah. because one thing has absolutely nothing to do with the other. Fortunately for me, Three I didn't recognise the difference. And they, you know, asked me to become chairman, try and do what I could. Within a very short space of time, I realised that this was actually a great opportunity, a very bad management team, very disruptive, nobody knew what they were doing, very, very poor financial controls. They had no control. This was a cash business, and they had no control of the cash, no control of the management. And it's like a hotel. If you lose that day's um, booking, you can't recover it the following day. It's the same with Powell. If you don't get the court then you've lost that bit of income. Yeah, it's so it's, it's very, very important to make sure that everything was running smoothly. So I had to change the whole management team. And within a period of time, I said to 3i, I can turn this around. You're going to have a success on your hands. And they said, we're not interested. We want to dispose of it. So I bought the company. And in 2006, unless some of the years are wrong, I believe you floated it on AIM? Probably, you know the date better than I do. <laughs> yes, but, but I mean, it was a success. We floated our name, not really because I wanted to, but because the management team that I'd created they were very, very keen to see some money. They wanted to kind of see cash. For me, it wasn't important, but they thought it was, so we floated the company, and it actually went very well on the stock market. And if we think of other companies you've been involved in, because that's a great example. You've gone into a company that was struggling, invested £50 million, identified the challenge, the management team bought in in a new team. Did any of them stay with you? No, some of them, yes. I found, in fact, my chief executive was somebody who I I, I kind of saw um, as a real prospect. He understood the business inside out, Mm. a young guy who was very, very keen, and he was chief executive. And actually, the success of the business was largely down to him, although I took all the credit, of course. Of course, absolutely. And that's why we're talking about that today. Um, And if we think of the other companies, think of Amstrad, Vigeland, some of the other um, businesses that have been... Um, Lord Sugar's been a chairman of, you've been involved in all of them. You, you guys have clearly a very strong relationship. Um, tell me a little well, bit about those companies and how well, it's operated. Let me just tell you about the relationship. Um, it's really a kind of love-hate relationship. <laughs> okay. I love him and he tolerates me. Uh, and I think that's the truth. And it sounds um, like my relationship with him maybe Yeah, as well. I think that's the relationship yeah. we all have. Um, but I, I think that... Uh, I, I mean, I don't know whether this is a question you were asking about, the, the, the kind of relationship with Alan is that... He has given me many opportunities, and I found that very helpful. Um, He's left me to run the business, and that's something that I think is also important. So he's trusted me, entrusted me with these companies to try and turn them around, to try and make them better. Um, I couldn't possibly have worked with him closely because I think we'd have clashed very, very quickly. But he's given me the opportunity to demonstrate that I've got ability. And do you apply that going down the chain? So you're given the opportunity and the freedom to deliver what you're asked to do. Are you able to provide the freedom to others, knowing you've got that pressure on your shoulders as well? Okay, well, the thing is that my first job was actually at a company called Lucas CAV. Um, and this was a very interesting situation because it was really a factory where you had blue-collar workers and white-collar workers, and it was terribly disruptive. The company wasn't operating properly, there was lots going on, and the management team were not looking after their 
employees and the managers were really divorced from the directors and the managers were divorced from the people on the shop floor. It was a terrible company yeah. and I learned a lot from that terrible, terrible company and I made a, a pledge to myself that if ever I got to a situation where I'd have control of people or managing people, I wouldn't behave in the way that Lucas CAV treated their staff, which was appalling. So it's always st stuck with me really about seeing how, seeing how bad management can be and for me to try and make sure that I don't fall into that trap. So as far as um, employees go, I try to be very, very fair. Now, you know, you may speak to some of them and you might find that they find me much too direct mm. and not fair, but I always maintain that I want to give people a chance. I want to be fair, I want to create a management team. The only interest I have is to make the company profitable and when I leave the company, it stands on its own two feet without me. What I love about that most is, even in an environment where it was challenging, an environment that you, you didn't enjoy, you wouldn't have enjoyed, you still were able to seek a lesson and a learning from that environment. What do I not do when I have the opportunity one day? And that's something I think anybody in any company, in any level of role, can look around them at the management team, the leadership team, and think, what styles do I like? What can I learn from? What styles do I not want to be like? And make sure that you treat people, uh, treat people fairly in return. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's critical. Also, I think that even though... Um, I then went from this terrible company to Unilever, which was chalk and cheese. It was a yeah. wonderful company, Unilever. Great processes, great management teams, very, great integration, even though it was a global business. So I saw the most terrible company, I saw the most magnificent company. And that's when I then decided to start on my own and be, become a sort of entrepreneur. And even though I had a lot of experience, had qualifications, um, I actually had to do the most menial tasks. So I think that's another thing which is very important, is that um, when students come out of um, university, or if they haven't gone to university and they start their first job, I think it's important that they've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. So it's not where you start off, it's where you end up. And I was in a basement ticketing stuff, uh, it was a business that I just started, yeah. and I had blood coming out of my fingers where I sort of stabbed myself with this sort of ticketing gun, and I just think that you've got to do whatever it takes to make the business successful and I think that people today have got to recognize that um, that's what's important and we come back to the point about willingness I think it's very, very important then the manager or whoever it is your boss looks at you and says I've got someone here someone who's prepared to work hard really do whatever it takes to actually make the business successful and I think when you've got those kind of grounded yeah sort of things about you, I think you've got a great chance of success. I think it is, and I think that's really inspiring, considering a lot of people can look at you and think, what you've achieved is incredible. They will see you on The Apprentice as Lord Sugar's A thinking, what an amazing insight that is to what young people are doing. But to hear that actually you are prepared to do the dirty work as much as anyone, because it's what it takes to get the job done. And I look at even myself and think, well, the moment after I won The Apprentice, had the investment, I think most people all of a sudden thought, oh, Ricky, you've made something. I hadn't. All I'd done is secured an investment over a very long interview assessment process. Actually, day one I didn't have anyone saying Ricky here's this I had to figure out how to get a phone contract I had to go and buy a um, screwdriver to put my desk together all of these realities that people don't think are a case and I think day one of setting up any business on day one you're not sitting there unfortunately generating all the sales and the money comes in you are doing the small pieces that build up to create something that enable you to do that later and it's, it's that lesson that gets lost and I'm sure every generation has its day, but particularly now, I think people assume that the first job they'll have is the perfect job, it is the winning job, it is the job of their dreams, and reality is we all have to start somewhere, and we have to be prepared to do that and learn from that. That's exactly right, and I think also things have changed to a certain extent, because um, in my day, um, if I looked at a CV and I saw someone had had five or six jobs, I think, oh my God, they can't stick at anything. Yeah. I think the situation now is 
is such that people get experience, they gain experience, and the fact that um, you know they leave to go to another company is maybe because they are ambitious and they want yeah. to do more. So I think there's sort of that constraint is no longer sort of so important. The job for life isn't what it used to be, and I think that's key. But I do think there is an element of people jump too quickly sometimes. I always look at it when I, I'm looking at CVs and, and I have two options of a CV, someone with five years' experience at one company or somebody with five companies but one year at each. They've both got five years. I will inevitably prefer the five-year experience because they've seen a life cycle of the job for longer. They've seen the pains, the highs, the lows. The, the other candidate to me is they've done the first year five times. Be it they've seen different environments, which is useful, but I'd rather five continued years experience than five individual, but I'm not looking for 20, 30 years, and sometimes we have to move on in jobs to, to better ourselves. Yeah, I think, I think what you said is exactly right. I'd also feel more comfortable with somebody who's actually stuck at a job, perhaps been promoted, perhaps not been promoted, but seen the evolution of the company and stuck with it. Okay, well, let's look at The Apprentice now, because The Apprentice has been going for 15 years, and you are the only interviewer in The Apprentice that's interviewed the candidates every single year, and now you are an aide to Lord Sugar, which you have been the last handful of years where you are assessing the candidates every single week. Um, why do you do it? What, what do you like about it? Because you don't need to do something like this, but you choose to. Okay, the first thing, it's for... Um, the privilege of working with Alan Sugar, and I know that sounds ludicrous, but there's a certain joy uh, to me of to course, be working yeah. with him, um, although he's not, he's not easy to work with, as you know. Um, but I, I think that it gives me a good profile, and from that profile it enables me, as far as the University of West London goes, to be able to go to companies. They'll see me because they're intrigued to see what this horrible person actually is like in real life. Yeah. Um, and so I can get to doors open which I wouldn't otherwise if I didn't have the um, this entree and the truth is also um, it plays to a great satisfaction to me um, it's actually nice to be recognized yeah um, it's nice to have the platform of being able to actually tell people um, explain to people how I've got to where I've got to and that actually they're able to do the same thing if they make the right kind of choices and work hard so I think from that point of view I've got a great platform, and that's something that's um, been given to me really by the, the apprentice. And you said a few times when we've been speaking that, particularly at Powerly, you said that you, you, your, your chief exec that was going to work with you was a young person who knew the business inside out. You use the word young. If you think of the apprentice, it is, and I've been one of those. They are generally young, hungry, ambitious people. For all of the, all of the publicity people say that they are, they're brash and they're this, they're, there is a real candidate behind the, behind the pros. Do you get something out of seeing young people develop through ultimately it's an apprenticeship it's a real life apprenticeship do you get something out of seeing a candidate blossom and move on yes look I, I think that the apprentice if we're talking specifically about the apprentice I think it's great for the winner um, because they've got a real opportunity mm. of having an investment and also working with, long, with Lord Sugar um, I think that even those who have not won have gone on to do well Absolutely. because they've gained a lot from the experience whether it's buying selling negotiating the pressure of the boardroom all those kind of things confidence of pitching I think there's lots of things which actually give them the opportunity of actually thinking, do you know what, I can do that as well. So I wasn't the winner of The Apprentice, but I can still make something of it. And I think that goes for people who even haven't been on The Apprentice. Just going for an interview, uh, if you get the chance of going for an interview, even if you don't get the job, you've learned something about that interview yeah. process. So I think that all these experiences go to make you the person you end up. I think that's the word that I like the most there is experiences. I think we have to experience different things to understand what we like, what we don't like, and better ourselves. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes going to an interview and not getting the job is the best thing because you can be redirected to a better job or you can learn through the process of how you could have equipped yourself better. And forget the TV of The Apprentice. 
I saw it as a learning experience. I saw it as an opportunity. I was a recruiter who had a science background and had the USP of being a wrestler outside of that, which probably made it more interesting. But I actually learned how to product design. I wouldn't have done that otherwise. I was having to sell um, condiments on the streets. Okay, I've sold papers on the streets, but not condiments. It was a real opportunity for me to open my eyes that actually the world is a lot bigger than just recruitment and science, which is what I do today. It actually made me realize all the things that I could do with my life but fundamentally what I love about it it shows that if you want to do something you can just get off your backside and do it there's money to be made if you're prepared to put the work into it and that's what I love about every task is a simulation of that Hey everyone, we're taking a quick coffee break while Claude and I have a quick catch up ready to come back to you. I just wanted to raise your attention to the Recruiter Ricky website, which is recruiterricky.com. If you go on there, there's a number of really useful videos about writing your CV, preparing for interviews, however that might be. Just wanted to recommend go and check it out, look at the videos to remind you to subscribe to the podcast for future podcasts. Right, enough from me. Let's go back to the podcast, back in the room with Claude. Here we go. Um, so let's look at looking at good candidates and that's what we're here to how we can help people to get better CVs interview better start of a company more successfully so let's say whether in whatever role you've been in in the past you've been looking at a CV what, what do you look for when that piece of paper lands in front of you and this could be even the apprentice because we still had to put a CV in what jumps out to you straight away what are you most interested in well I know this is going to sound uh, petty but I think it's got to be presented properly uh, you don't want spelling mistakes and I know that everyone makes spelling mistakes and they shouldn't with spell check and all that kind of thing it doesn't take very long to look at what you've written and make sure it hasn't got spelling mistakes grammatical mistakes you don't want to bore me rigid by giving me 20 pages of uh, the fact that you once um, did something for one day yeah. and you make a big thing of it so I think there's a whole host of things You've got to make sure the person's got the basic qualification or the experience for the job that you have in mind. And I think that's very important. So they've got to have some kind of basic skill, but then it's got to be presented properly. And the only way to do things really is to interview them. So you can get so much information from the CV. The CVs that just don't appeal get thrown, thrown into the bin. And then you see very few people, and those are the ones who are the potential candidates. So when we look at those candidates, so when they sit in front of you, again, for whatever role, and we can apply this on the apprentice context as well, if you like, what are you looking for in the person? Because the words on the CV have just got them in the room with you, and we can throw the CV out. How do they, how do they light up the room to make you think that they're okay. worth backing? All right. Well, there are a number of different things. And I think over the years, um, I've, got, um, I've got more adept at conducting interviews and picking the right people. Notwithstanding that, I still make mistakes. So I think that even the interview is not a perfect opportunity. Ideally, what I'd like to do is I'd like to wire them up to a lie detector. Um, and when they get the question wrong, put an electric current through them. Yeah. Okay. But in all truthfulness, I think that this is not a perfect science. The interviews are difficult. They're difficult for the candidate and they're difficult for the employer as well, because the employer knows exactly the team that they're going to be put into and the requirements of the job and the expertise and qualifications and the person who's standing in front of you wants to find those things out so I think that um, many people many people say that within the first eight seconds or whatever it is of somebody coming into the room they can judge them I don't believe that because many people are maybe a little bit shy a little bit reticent a little bit nervous and I think you've got to give the candidate the opportunity of coming out of his shell so I think the opportunity of calming the person down offering them a cup of coffee it sounds all silly but just give them a bit of time because what you want as the employer is to pick the right person so I think that from my point of view it's, if I look at you, Ricky, what struck yeah. me when I, when I interviewed you is 
you've got bright eyes, you've got an intelligence about you. You make I, me blush. Yes, possibly. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I think it's, it is important for somebody to have some energy and life and will about them. So you can talk to them and you can get that from them. But yeah. also, if you see in their eyes uh, a young person who's got ambition and who wants to succeed, that goes very, very far. Um, now, I have been conned uh, at Tottenham Hotspur, for example. I recruited a finance director who I thought was great didn't turn out to be great. So uh, there's, there's many people who are good at interviews um, and excel at interviews, but actually when they get on the job, they're not great. And that's the kind of dilemma. Somebody may not be so good at interviews, but the interview is not that important. It's how they perform on the job. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's not a perfect um, thing. What you've got to do as a candidate or as a prospect is you've got to kind of be yourself because you Absolutely. can't not be yourself, but on your good day. Okay, and if someone was to, let's look at that example that you could have somebody who's great at the job but bad at interviewing, and you are right, that happens again and again, and I always use the term lip service, the amount of times I can interview someone, I'm just getting lip service, they're ticking the boxes of what they think I want to hear or what they've read somewhere, but is there a, is there a real heartbeat behind them in, in what I'm interested in? Um, how, how, what advice could you give someone who maybe knows they're bad at interviews, they find it is a nervous, nervous, meaningful conversation, they, they struggle with it. What advice could you give them to try and get their personality out so they don't just sit in their shell, they're looking out the window? What, what can they do to, to help encourage the interviewer to engage? Okay, well, I, I meet a lot of young people, um, you know, people who are at the business school, for example, where they lack confidence, they haven't been on too many interviews, and so naturally they are um, under pressure and in a way you can't help that only through going to a number of interviews can you then see that um, you shouldn't be doing the things that you're doing that you're doing um, or you realize you made some mistakes you answer, answer the questions incorrectly perhaps um, so it comes with experience but I think what you've got to do really is prepare yourself beforehand so in, in, in everything really preparation is very very Absolutely. important so the fact is you should do some research on the company it would be nice if you could know who the interviewer is so you feel a bit more confident also make sure that what you've put in your CV is fairly honest there's no point in saying you've got a degree and actually you have only did yeah. one year and then you left and unfortunately we've seen that time and time again in The Apprentice haven't where people overstate That's certain Correct, and realities. you do get found out. And on The Apprentice, it's less important that actually if you're going for a real job and your career's at stake, maybe you, you fool the guy, you get the job, and then you found, you're found wanting and you get thrown out. So I think that really, I think you've got to be fairly honest, well prepared, have a good night's sleep, mm. make sure that you attend and you're there early so that you can compose yourself. When you see the person, the interviewer, just take a bit of a cue from him. If he seems to be a rather stern chap, then you can't really crack too many jokes and you've just got to be, yeah. kind of take your cue there. But if somebody's very friendly and relaxed, then perhaps you can relax a little bit more. And you've got to give of yourself. You can't, if somebody asks you a question, you can't say, yeah, no. You've got to give of yourself. Mon, you know, monosyllabic answers are not required. You've got to show your character, your passion, your personality, and your, and your knowledge. It's fair to say that, I mean, at the end of the day, if you don't back yourself in the interview situation, you can't expect the employer to back you and bring you in. Um, the things that I like that you said is preparation is key. I think people forget that. They're either too confident and they don't prepare, or they get, they, they get tripped up when they get asked questions which are a bit more targeted to see what preparation has been done. And I think what's nice that you've also said is to gain experience. I think don't just think you'll have one interview and you'll get that job and that's your perfect job. Put yourself out there. That'd be a fair thing to say. Experience different interviews, what works, what doesn't work, so that you understand really what you like and I think really 
if you go into a company you don't like the interview and this is maybe a take that I'll get you ask your opinion on I believe if you don't like the interview the way that their style is with you as a candidate you don't like the fact that you're not be able to show your real personality it's a fair comment to say it's probably not the business for you anyway because you don't want to just take a job for it being a job you want to enjoy what you're doing so if you can't get a level of engagement from the interviewer it's fair to say you might not enjoy working there anyway would you agree I don't know the thing is that it's tough out there so if I was ever in a situation where I was lucky enough to get an interview and then um, had an interviewer who was just very unpleasant uh, 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 or just not very experienced at interviewing I'd still think you know what if I get the job I'm going to take it because come what may um, it's not easy to get a job I'm offered the job I'm going to get it and see if I can actually um, work with my team or work as part of a team and make something of it so I wouldn't necessarily be put off by an interviewer who just may be a bit weak or in a bad mood that day um, I, I, I'm not sure I, I think that also the whole um, complexity of getting a job has changed now Absolutely. I think there aren't that many jobs around it's much much more competitive than I think it used to be in my day um, a lot of people are actually starting their own businesses yeah. for, because technology has enabled them to do that and there are lots of good ideas around but getting a job I, I just think if you can manage to get an interview if you can get a job particularly it's one that you've researched and you think this is the kind of job this is the kind of company um, that's got the right ethos for me then I'd grab it okay no, thank you and let's say you've hired someone they've they've given you a good enough CV to get an interview they've impressed you in the interview you've backed them they're not the FD that you hired at Spurs therefore they're the person we expect them to be when they turn up um, how do they continually make a good impression on you look um, it depends on what level uh, um, I'm recruiting for. If I'm level, if I'm recruiting for a finance director or somebody like that, it's somebody who I will be working with every day, and I, just, I need to make sure they understand the way that I work and that they can kind of comply with that and bringing in their own sort of experience yeah. and ideas. If it's somebody who actually is going to go into a team, I then perhaps would ask their manager, "How's he doing? How's that person, he or she, doing? How are they progressing?" Um, so I think it just depends. I don't get absolutely totally engaged with everybody who I uh, recruit, um, but it's. Very very, very important that the individual fits into the team because when you have got a settled team you bring a new person in there's always an opportunity of disruption of um, people vying for a position or I come in and say hello Bill but I didn't say hello to Fred there's all that kind of nonsense that goes on so I think it's very important that the person is the kind of character who can fit into a team who can work well and who can adapt. And the best way for them to understand that culture, because, again, you, we, you've already said that interviews aren't always the best way to understand the person. Until they're in the job, you don't really know. But from that candidate side, they've got the job, they're going to start with you. They want to be the best person they can. They want to fit in. What things can they do before they start the job to try and figure your culture and your businesses out? Well, I don't know. I mean, some, some companies have got, like, HR departments where they kind of go through a process and they talk to them, tell them a little bit about the culture, ask them a, a few more searching questions about their character and their um, what they want to do in life. And from that point of view, the person might perhaps just go and see some of his colleagues and just get a warm feeling about it. Yeah. But there's no substitute for actually getting the job. Mm. And that's where I think that... Um, if I can talk about universities, it's very, very good if you've got a situation where you can get some work experience because then you know what the world of work is like and if you can actually get, as part of your degree, and I know I'm kind of going off, off course here, but if you can actually spend uh, one year or some few months with a the company, they get to know you, you get to know them, and then there's less 
um, tension when they actually offer you the job. And I think those are all good things. So I think for the person who's coming out and perhaps is going into a completely new industry, it's important to understand what that's all about and whether you really have got an affinity to that. Because if you haven't, um, maybe you'll lose interest, maybe they'll lose interest in you. Yeah. Or maybe you actually will find that this is a very interesting industry, you knew nothing about it, but actually you've, got, you've you know, developed an affinity to it. The trouble is that all these things, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a chance, and you don't really know how it's all going to work out. With the best will in the world, from the company's point of view and the employee's point of view, sometimes there's just not a good match. And do you actually, in, with your experience today, have you had many people turn around to you and say, look, I'm doing everything I can, it's just not working? Do you have enough employees being humble enough to say, it's not working for me, Claude, I think I need to go? Or is it, does it end up being that you identify that and therefore it's on the company's terms? Yeah. Well, I think that more than likely, I would identify that they're not doing the right uh, job, they're not up to the job, they're not doing it in the way that I might require them to do it. And so really, it's just a matter of sitting down, having an honest conversation, are they happy? Am I happy? How can they improve themselves? What do they need to do to actually make it right? So you don't just sort of, you know, day one say, right, you're out. I yeah. think it's very important to understand what the, what the sort of uh, person wants, what they're looking for, how we're failing them as a business, and also see whether you can actually put it right. And if you can't put it right, then you just have to part company amicably. No, I appreciate that. And what... And I think all of these things are great tips and tricks for everyone who are, who are thinking about applying to a job, who are either first to a job or, or very embedded in a job. But there must be, I guess, if I try and unpick your 50 years to an extent, I think what's the critical thing that you've learned to be the best at your job every day, other than dogged determination, wanting to show energy and interest and um, that you remove an element of emotions, you deliver the task. Is there one key thing that you've learned over all these years that could be critical for somebody else? Well, I can only speak for myself, to be honest with you, and uh, I've got, as I said originally, I've got a narrow area of expertise, um, which I'm very good at. I've also got common sense, and that's something that you don't find. Even people who are very successful, I look at them and think, how on earth did they get to where they are? Because they, ha they just haven't got any common sense. Mm. I think also you've got to be not humble, but I think you've got to understand people. Not everyone's like me, thank God. Um, so it takes all sorts, and I think to a certain extent you've got to be a little bit flexible with people. Um, not everybody is going to be great from day one. It yeah. takes time sometimes for them to uh, learn the, the job. I know myself that when I was at Unilever, the first job I had at Unilever, I did not have a clue about the job. Um, and I was very lucky to have had two guys in the office who helped me through. And once I understood the job, I then sailed away and it was great. Um, so I think it also is just, it's a matter of everyone pulling together and trying to do the best. But inevitably, at some point in time, either the individual will decide this is not for him mm. and he'll find another job, or you have to have that conversation where you say, you've come to the end of the road and we have to part company. And if I step this to the same question in a different way, we're talking about employees trying to go on their journey, but you noted it earlier that more and more people are being entrepreneurial, are thinking about setting up a business. And that's where I think things like The Apprentice are really good to try and show people that there's key enterprise and could be done. If somebody's thinking of setting up a business tomorrow morning, so not the employee, the business, what's the key piece of advice, whether there's one or two pieces that you could say you're setting it up, if you don't do this, you will struggle? Well, first of all, I'd say to somebody who wants to set up a business, don't. Because, no, because it's a lonely, tough journey. Mm. I think that when people look at successful people like you, Ricky, they think, oh my God, how lucky he is. But it didn't come without a lot of hard work and problems along the way. It's not a straight line up. Absolutely There's problems, not. it takes longer, it costs more, and it's very, very heartbreaking when things don't go right for you. But you've got to keep plugging away. So 
Um, if somebody wants to start a business, really, do you really want to do it? Be prepared for some tough, tough times ahead. Um, having said that, if you really want to, I think the thing is you've just got to be absolutely doggedly determined. You've got to listen to people who perhaps know more than you about the business. Um, so take their advice, not necessarily yeah. follow it, but you've got to use your own brain. Be wary of bad advice, accept good advice, always look for opportunities because you're there, you're in the, you're in the mix of it, and you've got to seek, seek where you're going to go. You may start a business in recruitment and you might find that actually after a while that's a business that's okay, but actually there's a much better opportunity yeah. somewhere else. So I think you've got to be commercial, you've got to have common sense, you've got to preserve your cash because otherwise you can have a great business idea, you ran out of cash, you're not in business anymore. There are lots and lots of problems about running a business, particularly if you start off by yourself and you haven't got much funding. Thank you. And do you think experience before they do that? Because I'm finding again and again, I get approached by people who are about to come into recruitment or have spent about six months in recruitment saying, Ricky, I want to set up my own recruitment firm now. And I sit back and I say, okay, I appreciate the determination and the interest, but you don't really know the sector. So to set something up without having any experience, I think could be a flaw. Um, what's your what's your kind of take on having prior experience before you leap, take the leap of faith? How important? Look, the more experience they've got, the more experience you've got, the less chance there is of actually making a mistake or yeah. making lots of mistakes. So there's no substitute for experience. There, re there really isn't. Um, even if you've got qualifications, the fact is you've got to have experience because that's what counts. Um, having said that, of course, I know that the business that I set up when I started Unilever, when I left Unilever, I had absolutely no experience at at all, but I saw a business opportunity and I was learning on the job. Um, so I think there's something to be said for somebody who's enterprising. Uh, Alan Sugar started of course, off, yeah. didn't have experience, but he got experience through actually doing the job. Um, so that's also fine. But I think that if I was playing safe, I'd say get more experience than six months, get quite a few years on your belt, make some mistakes at somebody else's cost, if you like. And then if you really, really have got, really got the passion for starting on your own, um, maybe start. But be very careful. Well, ultimately, that's why I think I was able to get my investment. So I'd done it for six years for a company. I knew my space. I wasn't reinventing the wheel. I just believed I could do it differently, which would make a difference. And that's why I believe the business has moved forward. Um, I'll ask you, you're, you're a straight talker, Claude. So I'll ask you the question. So you were kind enough to say our interview went well at the beginning, um, that I showed some energy and I, um, I had bright eyes and it engaged you. But um, could you critique the interview further that we had? I know it was it was a simulation for TV, but it was still an interview. As far as I'm concerned, you were assessing me for an investment, and I had to, I had to, um, had to show you that I was willing. I had to show you that I was worthy. Okay. Well, in your particular case, and I remember it very clearly, Ricky. Um, I saw your CV, and um, I was going to get you um, because you even told me that. Yes, it was. It was awful. Full of boastful, bragging, self-opinionated, mm. awful. Just awful. I couldn't wait. I, I, I said to Alan, I, I, this guy is really going to get it from me yeah. because he's just so full of himself. And then I met you um, and I realised that actually there's a lot more to you than meets the eye or meets the sort of CV. So I could see right away you've got those bright eyes, you have an intelligence. I'm not just kind of giving it to you yeah. that way. It's absolutely, genuinely, I saw something in you. Now, some of the other winners, I haven't seen anything in them particularly, but yeah. with you, you were exceptional. I felt absolutely certain that you were going into a business that you understood, you had the expertise, you had the qualifications, you had the intelligence, and I was in no doubt that you were going to be successful, and I'm very pleased that you are. 
Thank you. No, I appreciate that. And what's a great lesson there is there's an example of a CV. Don't get me wrong, I was still writing a CV to get attention because it's The Apprentice. But there's an example of a CV which didn't justify the investment, hypothet- didn't justify the job that we're hiring. But then you've ignored, not ignored the CV, you put it to one side and focus on the person that's sat in front of you. And that's how the interview process works, I think. A CV gets you an interview, that's it. And then it's the person that gets you Absolutely. the job or the investment or the opportunity. That's right. Um, well, thank you for your vote of confidence. And it's been great to host you in the office today as well, because well, now you've seen seven years on where it was me with a plan sat in front of you to actually a fully functioning business for the future. Yeah, I'm very pleased for you, very proud. I think you've done really well. And obviously, um, you, it's enabled you to have the satisfaction of running your own successful business and also providing for your family. So actually, it's a real, real big tick in the box. Thank you, Claude. Thank you. So what's next for you? Um, you're still involved with The Apprentice and trying to help other people go on their journey. What's next for Claude Littner? Well, the thing is that I'm now ancient. Uh, I used to be old. I'm now ancient. <laughs> I would never but have I, said that. Yeah. But I, I'm very, very happy. That's the truth. I th- exceeded my expectations in terms of my um, ability to run businesses, um, to be successful, to make money, to provide for my family um, and my wider family. And so really, I'm very, very comfortable with my life. Also, as you know, I was ill for a period of time, so I've got like a second life. These things are very important for me to see my children grow up, my grandchildren grow up. And so now I really do exactly what pleases me and nothing more. So I'm not going to do anything I don't want to do. I'm very involved um, with the University of West London. I'm involved with charities, which I'm very keen to, um, to, to do more with. I'm involved with The Apprentice, which I like. I'm involved with Alan Sugar, which I like, and his children, who I also like. Um, and so really, I'm doing exactly the things I want. I'm moving my money around uh, and, and investing where I want to invest. And so I've been very, very fortunate. I don't think that all stories from where I began end as well as it it does, but I think it hasn't been without a lot of hard work, Mm. uh, determination, uh, and a bit of good fortune. And without going into too much detail, but there was a period where you were given six months to live. Um, Did you find that when you were back working again and realised that you'd moved past that, that you used the word a new lease of life? Um, Did you feel like you were a new person in the workforce and you had new appreciations for everything that's going on around you? Well, I think it gives you a sense of your mortality and how little time you've got to do the things you want to do in life. Um, So I think that um, I I kind of, I I was appreciative of the fact that I had kind of given a new lease of life, but also recognised that I didn't know how long it was going to last for, and so it made me more determined, if you like, to be successful and achieve what I wanted to achieve in life. Uh, So to that extent, I can't say how grateful I am um, for for having that second chance of life, really. Um, But as far as my my, um, personality, it also changed my personality in that um, whilst I was still aggressive in business, um, I think I had a bit more humanity about me, having gone through what I I went through. And so I think that's carried me through the last... um, 20 or more years since I've been cancer-free, uh, just to be a bit more of a human being rather than just being a machine. Well, thank you for sharing. And I think people do need to... Things happen in everybody's life. I think people need to realise that the things that happen in our personal world can impact and change us in our professional world, and we need to find a way that they complement and support one another. 50 years of a business career, there's always highs, there's always lows, but what was your greatest success? Well, I have to say that my greatest success was actually uh, marrying my wife and having my children. So whatever you do in business, if you've got a lovely family support, which I have, that is absolutely magnificent. So it's not a business success, but it helped me 
to have a clear head whilst I was going out abroad everywhere, running businesses, um, to know that I had a, a loving wife and children. Um, they were very supportive. So that really is my biggest success. I'd also have to say Alan Sugar. And I say that um, because he gave me opportunities, perhaps at a time when others might not have. And so I cherish that and, and value that greatly. What do you think he saw in you? It's a silly question because obviously you're great at what you do, but what did he see at that time to give you the first shot of opportunity? Honestly, I've got absolutely no idea. I think that the, the first um, time I met him, the interview I had with him, which is documented, although he um, sees it quite differently, was something of a disaster. And so I thought, you know, I've blown my opportunity. Um, but actually, um, I got the job. And the job was in France. And I think the only reason I got the job is because I'm uh, fluent, I, I'm bilingual. It's French English. Yeah. So I got the job. I think he must have been desperate. So he thought, oh, I don't know anything about this bloke, but he speaks French. So I got the job. Uh, but then really I had to prove myself. Um, so I don't know why I got the job, and nor do I really understand why I've kind of maintained my relationship with him, other than I've worked very, very hard. I've been honest and truthful and done the best I can at every opportunity. And uh, maybe I'm just one of a number of people who Alan has kind of trusted throughout the years. Well, I think, that, I think that's undeniable. I think he absolutely trusts you. And um, what's great about that is you just seeked opportunities at the front end. You, you thought it didn't go well. You got the gig and you've been in that gig over longer. I think people need to put themselves out there and take chances and seize opportunities. And when they get them, exactly like you said, be determined to make them work. Don't just assume now I've got it. It's going to work. You have to make it work. Absolutely right. Okay. Any final bits that you've been thinking before today that's worth sharing with everyone that can help them write a better CV, interview better, be a better employee, a better business person, a better entrepreneur? Any final pieces? Well, look, I think, I think the thing is that um, I killed myself to try and be successful. Um, I would do absolutely anything to try and be successful. And I think it's important to want to be successful, but also have a measure of responsibility. Life is not all about earning money, being successful in business. You've got family, you've got a lot of other things. So I think it's important, because life is short, um, to enjoy your life. So I think it's important to satisfy your ambition, but also kind of temper that with the fact that you want to enjoy life and kind of have that balance, that work-life balance, I think is quite important. No, I appreciate that because I think that's becoming more and more important these days and particularly people are talking about mental health, well-being, to have the right balance of yourself I think really helps you in the workplace. Well, Claude, thank you very much for your time. It's been incredible. It's been a real pleasure to have a sit down with you and not be interrogated during my interview, although I still am on edge, sat opposite you, Claude. So thank you for everything today. Thank you, thank you for the podcast. And we're going to go and do our quick fire session in a moment. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. That was the main interview. That's now concluded. But I wanted to leave you with something additional. Every guest that I interview, I ask them quickfire questions. These are questions to look at a CV, to look at what they look for during an interview, to understand how a candidate more successfully onboards into a company. What I don't do is make it easy for my guests. These are quickfire questions, gut reaction, quickest response is the most honest response. Hopefully in doing so, we're going to unearth some nuggets of information that are going to help you to more successfully get hired. Enjoy. It's my favourite part of the podcast now. It is the quick fire questions, and I am with Claude Littner, who is not only one of the interviews on The Apprentice, is one of the aides of Lord Sugar, has been working in business for over 50 years and has made a massive success, and the podcast explains all about that. So, Claude, rules of the podcast. I'm going to ask you 20 questions. I'd like you to give me a response, concise, short, and one sentence if possible. If you don't like the question or don't understand it, you can say pass. If you don't want to give a response, you can say pass. 
Only the best people don't pass, and not to put you on edge at all. Um, and we'll see how quickly we can go through this. Oh, you comfortable? Yeah. Okay, right, let's crack on. Um, what does the word entrepreneur mean to you? In French, entrepreneur is undertaker. Uh, so it has no connotations. It's somebody who's willing to take a chance and have a go and is enterprising. Before any big meeting or any big pitch, what's the one question you ask yourself? I don't ask myself any questions. I'm very confident. But for those who aren't confident, they need to make sure they know this stuff. What characteristics in a person do you look for when hiring? Common sense, bright eyes, intelligence, and not monosyllabic when I ask no question. If somebody was to give you the perfect CV, but they were terrible at interviewing, what would you do? Probably wouldn't hire them, because the more important thing is actually their personality and their ability to get on with other people. What's been your biggest mistake today when hiring? I've made too many to tell you. What's the first thing you look for when you look at a CV? To see whether there are any spelling mistakes. What engages you to read the entire CV? If it's interesting, if it's put forward in an interesting way, that engages me. And when you just finish reading the CV, what's the last thing that leaves a lasting impression on you? Whether I feel that I understand the person from the CV and have a sort of, some sort of understanding of whether they've got the ability to take the job. What advice would you give to somebody who's writing their CV tonight to apply to a job tomorrow? Be careful, do it properly, be honest, because you'll get caught out if you tell lots of lies. What's the one thing most people leave off a CV? There's too many to mention, they leave off everything. What's the worst thing you've ever seen in a CV? Again, too many diabolical CVs that I've seen, full of spelling mistakes, full of inaccuracies, badly, badly presented, hopeless. What's the most annoying thing you've seen in a CV? Somebody who I actually meet and their CV has let them down because actually they're a very good candidate and that really applies to you, Ricky. <laughs> what's, the word, what's the first thing you look for in a person at an interview? How they walk into the room, their confidence, uh, their ability to just look me straight in the eye. What engages you to listen on throughout the entire interview? Um, if they've got a good voice, if they're interesting, if they've got personality, if they've got character, I'm immediately engaged. At the end of the interview, what's the best way somebody can leave a lasting impression? For me, it's the most important thing is when they weigh out, they tell me they really want the job. What's the one bit of advice you'd give to somebody preparing this evening for an interview tomorrow? Have an early night, have researched the company, be fresh, get to the, get to the interview on time or before time and compose yourself. What's the one question most people struggle with during an interview? Lots of struggling, can't pick one. What's the worst thing somebody's done in front of you during an interview? <laughs> oh, I can't even tell you. Um, what's the most annoying thing somebody's done in front of you during an interview? I'm particularly irritated by people who keep moving their feet forward and backward, um, bite their nails, uh, tap on the desk, anything like that I find disruptive and annoying, irritating. Final question, what is your killer interview question? Thank you, Claude. Well done. Thanks very much. That's the quickfire questions. You've already heard the podcast. So the last thing for me to ask is, can you please subscribe to the channel? And more importantly, could you leave me a review? The best thing about reading reviews, not only are the positive and kind comments, but most importantly, hearing how you've actually been able to use this advice to get yourself hired. So thank you. Subscribe, review. Good luck.